You're listening to the Ecclesia of Noonan Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to show your support, find out more information, check out our website, ecclesianoonan.com. Second Peter chapter one. Um, I uh, am honored to have my parents here. Uh, every time that they're here, I try to let you know, um, and I don't know if you know why I do that, so I'll just tell you. Um, it's because the Bible says that you should honor your father and mother. That's very important um, practice, and uh, increasingly, honoring our parents is something that we're not committed to doing. Uh, if you're a Christian and your parents are not saved, you still have a responsibility to honor them. And of course, my parents are going through a season of their life where honoring their own parents uh, is perhaps more challenging than it's ever been um, as my grandfather is dealing with Alzheimer's and yet they continue to bring a good example to me in that regard. So let me encourage you to live your faith before a watching world by not talking bad about your parents, uh, by loving your parents as best you can um, and serving them and uh, just not, not falling in that normal category. Remember we talked about a couple of weeks ago why the why the biblical life should seem so weird uh, and the world's way should seem so normal. Does that make sense? Uh, and and this, is, this is another area where that is equally applicable, that honoring our parents should be the norm, right? Um, and so I encourage you to do that um, with God's help and with our help, if, if we can help you there. And mom and dad, it's so good to have you here. Love you all. Um, 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, verses 16, 17, and 18. Uh, we'll read it one more time. Uh, these are the words of God. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths. Now, there were a lot of cleverly devised myths circling around at this time, okay? Just like we have here today. When we made known to you the power, this is the life, and the coming, that's the future coming, of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And this theme of majesty we'll see throughout the text. Uh, For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born uh, to him uh, by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Uh, Let's pray just briefly. God, give us ears to hear what the Spirit says to the church. Uh, Help us, God, to see and know and be aware of our defensive flesh that seeks to supplant uh, the implanted word in our souls. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, as I said before, uh, there's just two points today. Uh, It's very simple. Verse 16 is eyewitness. Verses 17 and 18 are ear witness. Okay, so if you're taking notes, that would be a good place to start for you. Um, verse 16, eyewitness. Verse uh, 17 and 18, ear witness. Now, could you argue that there's both eye and ear witness in both? Of course you could, right? Um, but um, I think the emphasis is placed on eyewitness uh, in verse 16, and I think that the emphasis is placed on ear witness in verse um, 17, 18. And I'll tell you what I'll do for you. I'm going to go ahead and just give you what I consider to be one of the more, there are lots of applications that run through the text, but I think maybe one of the more primary 
um, applications that run through this text is, is this. It's just heading to the principle. These men had spent their lives seeing something that changed the, changed the world and changed them. And it was rooted, unlike the other religions of the day, in history. Uh, which is why he uses cleverly devised myths, right? Um, and so they wanted people to know about this and the things that have happened, right? And so they were witness to these things. So here's the, here's the primary application. Throughout the course of your life, what's coming out of your mouth, what's coming out of your body, what are you bearing witness to? I think that's probably the biggest application point that we could give you today. These guys, for them, it's a there's a we factor. We're, we're moving from I in verses, uh, you know, uh, 12 to 15, where Peter is like a father, in, in, encouraging I, me, Peter, to you specifically, remember these gospel truths. And now he's saying, we all, look, we have this witness about us. So these men have seen this thing, and they're wanting everyone to know that we walked with Jesus of Nazareth for a thousand days. He called us from the banks uh, of a fisherman's lake, from our tax collecting tables, uh, from, you know, from our, our unreputable lives, and he called us into his glory. He saved us, and we're witness to this. This is what they were witness to. And a result of their witness were their bodies scattered around the Roman Empire in death. And behind them, and in their wake, the greatest spirituality to ever attest in the history of mankind. Uh, there are two billion, two billion professing Christians on the planet today. Don't tell me Jesus of Nazareth uh, didn't do something. Don't tell me these guys' witness didn't, didn't make a difference, because it certainly did. But on the practical, on Monday tomorrow, or even this afternoon, I think the, the sanctifying question that we can ask ourselves is, like, what, what, am, what do I witness to others about on my cell phone? What do I witness to others about? Like, what am I attesting to? in my conversations. Uh, how does that work out? What's, what's, the output of, uh, what's the output of what I've witnessed, right? Uh, be, because we're all going to tell stories of what we saw. I mean, that's, that's who we are. We're human. Introvert, extrovert, doesn't matter. We're all storytellers, as it were. And we're going to tell others, well, how did your day go? There you're providing a witness, right? Um, you know, I asked my daughters uh, or daughter at the end of the day, oftentimes, what's the best part of your day? <clears throat> what's the worst part of your day? And then she gives me witness of, of what those things were, right? Uh, and you and I are the same way. So I want you, as we go through the fabric of this and kind of mine out some principles, I want that to be underneath as we're looking at all of this, okay? And, and thinking about, well, what, yeah, what is it? Um, um, that I'm giving witness to, and, and is that a good thing? And if so, praise God. And if not, then let's be challenged and convicted where we need to be, um, and then move on. So, uh, we did not follow uh, eyewitness, verse 16 here. We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. So here's the thing. Uh, this verse, majesty, they're, they're, they're wanting the people 
in the audience to know that Jesus is king. Jesus is obviously the Messiah. Jesus is God. Jesus is king. This is who he is. They are wanting to attest with one voice all of the apostles, Paul, Peter, John, all of them, Jesus is God. So it's a we thing. We saw this stuff, right? Um, uh, that, that said, um, we live in a day where the history of it seems completely inconsequential, right? When you talk to people about their spiritualities and you ask them what they're rooting it in, uh, it just doesn't seem to matter, right? Postmodernism says you don't really need anything to root it in. Uh, it, it can just be because it is. But from the very beginning, uh, Christianity has serious problems if there's not history, or if there's not eyewitness, if there's not something there, um, right? So if Jesus did not historically die, then you don't have a savior. You don't even have a spirituality, right? And th this was their message from the very beginning. Paul made this specifically clear in 1 Corinthians. You only need to write this down. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17, when he said, And if Christ has not been raised, actually, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. And by you he meant we, right? We all are. We are among all men to be most pitied, he said later. Um, and, he, and he's right. So, so our faith is rooted in historical facts. We actually needed not a spiritual savior. We needed a physical one who was also a spiritual one, right? So all that is rooted in history. These men are giving eyewitness. The reason that I'm a Christian today is because I have a record of what these men saw, and I believe it. I believe it. Now, my parents told me to believe it, and I still believe it. Does that make sense? Um, so, yes, I mean, Jesus is God. Uh, and I, I happen to believe their account. I, I have spent many years uh, of my um, theological sort of, you know, in, in, in training, looking at other religions, looking at them trying to legitimize themselves, looking at ancient documents, looking at how they lie in those ancient documents. When I look at the Bible, I, I see a wonderful document that doesn't lie. It, it hangs out all of its dirty laundry of its most famous people. You, you, you just don't understand how unique this is in ancient comparative literature. You, you just don't understand. When you get to looking at all the stone tablets and you look at all of the old languages, people tell stories that they want to tell. Kings and empires leave behind things that they want to leave behind. They give you the version of what they want you to know, not the Bible. This is the reason that we know that the Bible's credible. We know that the Bible's credible because they say crazy things about people. They're self-deprecating. They're painfully honest in this book, right? No matter who it is. David... You know, he's, he's the all-star of the nation of Israel. His symbol still is on uh, the standard flag in Palestine today. And yet, all of his sin is there. They're not retelling history. And, and, and that goes from Old Covenant to New Covenant. All the mistakes that Peter made are in Scripture. They're there, right? 
The fact that there's only one teenage disciple at the foot of the cross and a bunch of women is put in the Bible. Right? Uh, this is the most true, historic, accurate book in the Bible. And, and of course, it talks about inspiration, which we'll get to more in verse 21 next week when we look at verses 19 to 21. These are the words of God. That's the reason we say it, right? But because we actually believe that, that this is true. Um, it's most true. Um, Anybody in the ancient world looking to legitimize their eyewitness would have never put that the first people to the tomb were a bunch of women. Because early, early on in, in the years, this movement would have gained no traction. Okay, so this entire thing, this entire thing by your own admission is on the witness of four women. No. That's, that's the way it goes, right? Um, women in the ancient world had zero place in, in, in a court of law. Didn't matter because it was the truth. And we wanted to write the history down. Uh, of course, what's wonderful and I have made point of time and time again and I will continue to make time and time again, uh, speaking of women, that though we look at it in the 21st century back on it with such disdain uh, in terms of women's rights, what's so wonderful about it is that if you actually do do um, a study of comparative literature, ancient religious literature, you'll find it's the most liberating document for women that exists. There's not another one out there. Um, go read Aristotle and see how wonderful the Bible is to women. Okay? Seriously. Like, just, just, just read. Um, read. Read all of it. A lot of it. Read every bit of it. Read the Quran and the Hadith and see how you feel about women after reading the New Testament. Right? So, yeah, there's, 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 there's plenty there. And all of this, all of this, this accuracy shows us that the eyewitness and the ear witness that we have of these men is real. Right? That, that it's, it's, they're, they're not embellishing history. They're not rewriting it. They're telling it just as it was, good and bad, right and wrong. It's all there in black and white. Um, and, uh, you know, it, you, in my opinion, there's enough archaeology to, to, to not even uh, need faith that the Bible is accurate and that it's the Word of God. Um, but we live in kind of a bizarre day. Okay, so um, notice what's said here in verse 16, and it's very important that we not miss this. Um, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you two things. The number one power, that's the power of Jesus, that's his life, everything about it, which they were all witness to, which we'll talk about more in verses 17 and 18. Uh, but also, they make known to you the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. So they saw him in his life, but they want people to know about the second returning of the Lord, or Peter does here. And so here's the argument, and this is what I would like for you to write down if you, you are taking notes today, and that is this that there is a priority in the, in the thought of Christians in this time, and it's the coming of the Lord, okay? There is a priority in the thought of Christians in this time, and, and, and there are many, many priorities, admittedly. One is gospel truth and accuracy, but another one is um, the fact that Jesus is coming back and that life should be lived First Peter, in holiness in light of the fact that he's coming back to judge the living and the dead. 
Like, like that's 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 part of it now, right? Um, and, and, and we've hit on this over and over again. You know, we partner with a church whose very name is is named after the second return of our Lord, Sovereign Hope, right? So uh, the, the Sovereign Hope is Jesus himself, but also the Sovereign Hope is his eventual return. Um, the second coming of the Lord is important. It is increasingly uncomfortable to us if we get in deep, entrenched in the world system. And it doesn't matter if you're 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 or 70, right? It'd be really easy for me to not be sensitive and to say, oh, well, young people just don't want to see the second return of the Lord. But we old folks do. Uh, no, that's not true. Because isn't it true that in our 20s and 30s, we despair in this age as well? Wanting, wanting the second return of the Lord? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. We don't need an extra 40 years to want to see the return of the Lord. Amen? Right? So, it doesn't matter how old we are or where we've been, all of us should look and say, we've got a king. We've got a coming king. Right? Um, and he's coming back. And he's coming back to, to judge the living and the dead. And here's the thing. And I've said this before. I certainly will say it again because I feel like you just have to know it. The advent that the advent of this, the first coming of Jesus, came to save, right? That's the reason that Jesus said with his own mouth, right? The Son of Man did not come to judge. He came to save. That is not to say that he's not a judge. It just means on this, on this go-round, on this visit, I didn't come to judge. But I'm coming back, and the next time I'm coming back, I'm coming to judge and save, right? So the first time I came, I came to save. The second time I come, I'm coming to judge and save. Um, and that's, that's some serious business. Now, you should not be afraid of that because our text that we just got out of said that the Christian should have full assurance and confidence of the goodness of God. That your salvation isn't actually wrapped up in your faithfulness, but it's wrapped up in the faithfulness of Jesus. Right? Uh, and that, so as you look to that return, you can be happy uh, knowing that um, when we make witness to, you know, to others, we tell them about the life of Jesus, we tell them about the death of Jesus, and then we give them news about the coming of Jesus, which actually affords us an opportunity to tell them about the bad news, which is the, which is the opposite of the good news uh, that, that we so desperately need to tell, right? So yes, there's a priority in the coming of our Lord. Uh, uh, Peter is constantly preaching about it. Um, in Acts, when he talks to Cornelius, he, he talks about it then, and also uh, he preaches about it here in Acts chapter 3, uh, verses 19 through 21. Acts 3, verse 19 to 21, he is again talking about the second coming of the Lord. Uh, just to give uh, another proof here that, that this, this, is an, it, this coming of Jesus is important in our thoughts, right? Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by his mouth of his holy prophets long ago. In other words, hey, uh, you need to repent. Uh, because the Lord is patient and he's waiting, uh, but there's a time where he's, he's coming back, right? And, and, and you need to be aware of this. This was a part of their, their, their talk. Now, 
Can, can, can I ask you a question that you can help me with? We're just going to kind of do a survey, a head bob survey. Okay, one of these. All right. Is it fair to say that in most of our pulpits, increasingly sin is, is sort of going out the door? Is, is, is that fair? You give me one of these? Yeah. Not all pulpits. That, that's unfair. That, that's not kind, right? But, but increasingly sin is being diminished in the pulpit, right? We have, a, we have a lower view of sin instead of a higher view of sin. Is it equally true that um, increasingly, I would say especially in our uh, consumer churches, right, where they're really, really big, is that the coming of the Lord is increasingly out of style, right? Preaching the second return of Jesus is not cosmopolitan. It is not in vogue. It's just not. There's nothing hip about it, right? Um, and... Of course, we don't preach with cleverly devised myths, right? We preach Christ crucified. And we have to preach the whole counsel of God. And as we preach the whole counsel of God, as Paul said, we've got to say, hey, he's coming back and it's the greatest thing that's ever going to happen, right? Now, here's the thing. That message is bad news for a lot of people. That's the reason it's so uncomfortable. That's the reason it's so uncomfortable. Um, so... Let's, let's just look at a couple of verses to uh, sort of getting away from the coming of the Lord and looking at the nature of eyewitness and how this is really a, really a major theme in the New Testament. Um, 1 John uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. If you want to just write that reference down, I'll, I'll read it to you as you're writing. 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, the apostle John said, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it. We testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. He wants John who has known Jesus from a child and the only apostle not to die a martyr's death is now an old man writing these letters and saying, I'm telling you, we were eyewitnesses, hand witnesses, ear witnesses. We touched this, this stuff with our hands, right? Um, and when we're making it known to you and what it is, is eternal life, right? Um, also, 1 John chapter 4, verse 14 same letter, except it's chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4, verse 14. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Okay? Now, uh, so, so let's hit the application as we already hit on just a moment ago and stop for a moment and ask you, because we already have the witness here, right? And it, it calls for the inspiration of Scripture. I mean, this is it, right? This is, the, this is the witness of the New Testament and, and, and the Old Testament. Um, what are you eyewitness to in your life? And I, here, here's, here's a different way of asking that question. What do you spend your time beholding? Right? Uh, my mentor in his book, which is right back there, I meant to bring it up here, uh, he, he writes a chapter, and it, the chapter is entitled Beholding and Becoming. And he uses 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, and makes the argument from where, uh, hey, basically what, what we behold is what we become. Does that make sense? Um, and uh, it's quite important 
that as 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says, that we are changed, that we as Christians are changed and transformed from glory to glory as we behold his face, right? Um, so, uh, question, what is it that you spend your time, what is it that your mind's eye is looking at, right? What is your mind's eye looking at, and how does that change you? Well, you, you will behold, you will become what you behold. That's, that's part of transformation, right? That's the reason that even after you become a Christian, we want you to, we, we want to make much of Jesus so that we could lift him up so he'll draw all men to yourself, including you, even after your conversion, right? So that you would see all that. So, so, so what is it that dominates you, right? I mean, if you're a journalist, if, if, if you're a reporter and we're writing out uh, what's dominating your mind uh, or what's dominating your mouth even, I think it's probably a more fair statement. What's dominating your mouth is what you're witness to and, and how, how is that important and why is that important? Um, and, and Christians should be distinctly Christian in this regard, right? We just got out of 1 Peter, the key verse of all of 1 Peter was what? Does anybody remember that reference right off the top of your head? 1 Peter chapter... Shame on you, Andrew. And a boy. Uh, 3.15. 3.15, which says, which says uh, that when people look at our lives and they see great hope in us, that because they see great hope in us, we can have a reason to answer for the hope that is in us and that we can give witness about what happened to us. We tell them our gospel story, which is in fact is rooted in the story of Jesus. Okay, next. Awesome. It's only 11 o'clock and we're just not getting to the second point. Praise be to God. Um, uh Verses 17 and 18, uh, this is ear witness, okay? And if, you, if there's a, another point that you want to put in there, you can just put in parentheses transfiguration because that's really what it's all about, transfiguration, okay? Uh, per Luke chapter um, 9, I believe. Uh, for uh, when he received honor and glory from God the Father and, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on the holy mountain. Now here's some background. Did God attest to the legitimacy of Jesus throughout his life? Yes. Every miracle that Jesus performed was a witness to saying Jesus is God. However, there are three main times where we consider the Father to very, very, very loudly say, this is the Son of God. Number one is at the baptism of Jesus in Matthew chapter three, where it's, you know, he comes forth from the clouds and says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. The next one uh, is at the transfiguration, okay? Transfiguration, there's only three men there, uh, Peter, James, and John, and uh, I would say besides the resurrection, this is probably uh, one of the most fantastical uh, uh, miracles that we have because Jesus is shown in, in, in sort of this cosmic spiritual brilliance talking to uh, the two greatest prophets of the Old Covenant, Moses and, and Elijah, and they're like, holy cow, what's happening? And it's, it's such an incredible thing that they want to they create a temple there when it's all done. Lastly, 
Uh, the third the third time is at the Passion of the Christ where Jesus is dying and the sun goes dark, right, and the earth shakes, etc., etc., and, and, and the, the, the veil is rent. So these three times are really the high points on which heaven has a voice and comes out and says Jesus is God. Now here's what's so interesting. Peter is the author of this. And of those three things, Peter was only present for one of them. He wasn't present at the crucifixion because he was a chicken, right? As I would have been also a chicken. I would have been right beside Peter, running away, right? Certainly, no question about it. He also was not at the baptism of Jesus because that happened in Matthew chapter 3, and he didn't even know Jesus until Matthew chapter 4 whence he was called with his brother Andrew. So he was only at one of these things, and guess which one it was? It was Luke chapter 9. <laughs> Luke chapter 9. Um, and he saw Jesus becoming incredible, right? Sort of right, right in front of him. Um, and as he sees him, he, uh, he says, well, we've got to build a shrine. We've got to build a temple. And he knows now that Jesus is God, right? So he talks about it here. Because part of his, and this, is, this is his eyewitness. I mean, this is his eyewitness account. This is the thing that's most uh, sort of important to him. Um, Mark in his gospel says the transfiguration, no garment could be this white. This is blazing glory, divine majesty on display for Peter. And he's wanting other people to know, hey, I'm telling you, heaven thundered forth and said, this is the son of God. Listen to him. I'm, I'm well pleased with him. This is the guy, right? Uh, and so there's glory here. He is, he is eyewitness to glory, right? Uh, now, you have been eyewitness to glory about various things in your life, and when you are, you tell people about them, right? So I went to Mercedes-Benz Stadium this past week, and it was glorious. I mean, I, I walked in and got dizzy at the glory. I mean, it was serious stuff. Um, seriously, no exaggeration, no embellishment at all. I, 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 and because it was so glorious, I got on my cell phone and I started telling everybody about the glory, right? I started taking pictures of the glory. I sent them to Ben, I sent them to mom, I sent them to dad. Uh, I, did I send one to you? I, I sent one to Preston. <laughs> it was incredible. Right, because I, I look, I was like, this is this is so big. Well, this is, right, it's it's amazing, right? That's what we do. We go on vacations. We go to big things, you know, uh, big oceans, big holes in the ground. That's what we do on vacation. Big mountains. So I'm seeing this, and I'm like telling everyone, look at this glory, right? So this is what Peter sees. Peter sees something that is unforgettable. I mean, it's it it it's burned in him for the rest of his life. He cannot forget this. And his witnesses, hey, I'm telling you, I. I'm telling you, Jesus is God. This is my beloved son and who I am well pleased. This is him. And he's, he's ready to tell the rest of the world, I've seen glory. He's not the only one, right? Because he's not talking in the first person, I. He's talking in the first person, plural, we. So he says, we. And the we that he's talking about is guys like John. Not only in his epistle, which we just read in, but also in his gospel when he said, uh, in John 1, 14. And you've heard this your whole Christian life. Uh, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth. The first miracle of Jesus' um, ministry uh, at the behest of his mother 
at this big wedding when he turns water into wine in John chapter 2, the text says in verse 11, and this, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. End, end quote. When you see glory, it does something to you. And these eyewitnesses, that's what they're doing. They're, they're, they're attesting to what's done. And so here's, 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 here's the application for us. Um, and we could go on and talk about John the Baptist and his witness and what he did and how he also attested to Jesus and pointing in verse 29, John chapter 1. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, right? He was, he was witness to all this. Um, it's our responsibility in our classrooms on our phones, over our meals, to our enemies, to our acquaintances, to our friends and coworkers, to our dysfunctional families, to our estranged friends. Jesus is God and he's glorious and he's coming. And this is why he's glorious, right? Um, let me encourage you to hit the reset button on your eyewitness this week. Right, I want you to think very clearly about your eyewitness. And here's the thing. You are to live your life in joy. Enjoy God's creation. Give witness to it about others. Talk about, talk about how great your life is if you're grateful. If your heart is grateful with, with, the, with the things of common grace that God has given you, like food and family and whatever it may be, then, then do it, right? But also sprinkled throughout the fabric of your life needs to be needs to be the clear witness of God's glory and goodness and coming in your life, right? Um, it, 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 it needs a place there, right? It deserves a seat at the table that is your conversation record, um, I would say. All right, hey. I love you. I hope that you've been encouraged by God's word. I've been encouraged by God's word. I want you to know I'm a wretch. You understand? And God saves people like me and you, doesn't he? He does. And it's amazing. It's, it's amazing that God loves us as much as he does. It's amazing that he gives us mercy instead of justice. Holy cow. Um, so let me, let me encourage you. Uh, to take these words to heart, to live with them, maybe to reread through them again, um, and to look uh, to our, our covenant-keeping and faithful God. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to ask Jacob and uh, Christian if you guys could serve us the Lord's table today, and then we're going to come take the table. All right, let's pray together. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your presence with us, for your, um, for your life-giving death and resurrection. We thank you for, um, for the joy of sight and for the beauty of what we hear. God, and I pray that in our lives, that as you're working, that we would attest to it. God, I pray that we would attest to things that you do. I pray that our people would be reminded of the good work of you in their lives each and every day, and that they would take time to tell others about it. 
Lord, I pray that you would give us a Godward focus in our lives. I pray that you would continue to convict us of sin. I pray that our people would be enabled by the Holy Spirit to continue to remember and understand Scripture and convict us of our sins. So we love you. We thank you for this Holy Spirit, which does help us to obey. And God, we thank you for this table, which reminds us so clearly, this sign, so clearly, the symbol of uh, just how much you love us. Lord, help it, uh, use it to show us grace, mercy, justice, and help us uh, to have energy as a result of it this week, to love those around us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Ecclesia of Newton Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to show your support, find out more information, or hear more like this, check out our website, ecclesianewton.com.